So the song I'm singing, it's called Shoulders, and it's by For King and Country. Um, and just, this shows so much of just like what God can do. And just with everything we're going through, he can carry it on his shoulders so we don't have to. And honestly, the more I give to God, even though it's hard to let go of stuff and it not be in my control, it's just so comforting and just peaceful just to give everything over to God. When confusion's my companion And despair holds me for ransom I will feel no fear Cause I know that you are near When I'm caught deep in the valley With chaos for my company I find my comfort here Cause I know that you are near Shoulders, my help is 
it good that we got a God who is there to help us. Thank you, Gabby. That was really good, really encouraging to know. <clears throat> so you can turn to Galatians chapter 5 if you have your Bibles. The title of today's sermon would be Crucifying the Flesh. Crucifying the Flesh. And as you flip there, man, our flesh is strong, isn't it? It's strong. To say we're to crucify the flesh is easy, but to actually do it is a very, very difficult thing. I'll tell you how strong the flesh is and how hard it is to crucify. I played in a basketball tournament yesterday. And no, I didn't lose my flesh there. I didn't. I know you guys might be thinking so. I didn't win, so I did leave frustrated because I hate to lose. But I haven't played in a while. And I played five games yesterday. And I'm beat up and I'm banged up. A couple of the games got pretty physical and my body was hurting uh, the rest of the day pretty much. You can ask Marissa, I struggled the rest of the day. I felt like I couldn't move. The more I sit, the stiffer I got. Uh, then we go home, maybe already a little bit frustrated and in the flesh that we didn't win. And in my opinion, I thought we were plenty, plenty uh, able to with the talent that we had. I'm tired, I'm sore. Watch the OU game, watch some other ball games. Thank goodness they win, or it may have been even worse. Uh, but then I know uh, I got the pulpit in the morning, and so I need to study, and I really didn't want to. Man, the flesh is, is strong, and I mustered up enough strength to sit and study last night, got in bed somewhere around midnight, and when that alarm went off this morning, whew, the flesh is strong. I didn't want to get up. I tried so hard to hit the snooze button and say, just 10 more minutes, just 10 more minutes. But I didn't. I got up. I knew I needed to get ready, be prepared, because I knew where I had to be this morning. And so the flesh is strong, and it takes a lot uh, to crucify it. And so that's what I want to talk about, and I think Galatians is a very good spot to go to. Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read really chapter 5, and we'll flow into chapter 6 a little bit too. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, through chapter 6, verse 3. Verse 24 says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. But brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Bow with me and let's pray. Father, I come to you and just thank you for your goodness, your grace. Lord, I just pray that you would increase, that I would decrease. Lord, just help me to stay out of the way. Use me, and I just pray that as your message is given, that we, your people, would respond in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, crucifying the flesh. Number one, when I read that first verse, 
You need to be saved. It says in verse 24, Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then verse 25, the very first statement is, If we live in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit. So if you want to crucify the flesh today, you better make sure that you're saved. That you've repented of your sins. That you've asked Jesus into your heart. And that you have a relationship with Him. See, back in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in, lives in me. And so, if we're working to crucify the flesh on our own, we aren't going to have much success. You see it all the time. People go uh, with their addictions, alcohol, drugs. They go to these meetings uh, where people do try to help them. And maybe it works for a little bit, and I'm not saying those things are bad things, but it seems like they always end up going back to that addiction, back to that drug, back to the alcohol. But you hear testimony after testimony, and we even have some in our congregations at both campuses, of people who tried those things, tried those rehab facilities, tried the different ways of of kicking an addiction to drug and alcohol. But one day, they found Jesus... And then the rehab process started. Then they could get out of, they, they could crucify that fleshly desire uh, to drink, that fleshly desire uh, to partake in those drugs. And there's so many other addictions than that pornography, sexual immorality. There's a whole list that we'll talk about uh, that, these fle- that our flesh lusts after. Uh, and we can't crucify that, we can't overcome that on our own. But through Jesus, when we have a relationship with Him, those who are Christ, those who are in His uh, kingdom, those who are in His family, we've been made alive in Christ. And that's the first step to crucifying our flesh is to know, hey, my flesh is dead. It died with Jesus on the cross. I now live, and I live for Christ. It's not me, but Him who lives in me. And so you need to be saved. If you've never been saved today, I'm not asking... If you've been baptized, I'm not asking if you come to church. You're here. I know you're here. I can see your faces. I'm asking, has there been a moment, a time, when you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your life so you can begin to live a life that crucifies the flesh and lives for Jesus? And so we need to be saved. But then, number two, we need to be steered. Verse 26 says, or verse 25, excuse me, verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, all right, that's salvation, if we live in the Spirit, if we're made alive by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We need to be steered. And I, I uh, shared the outline with my dad. I was actually, this was the plan, this was the message that I was going to preach back in October when he was going to be gone and ended up some things changed where he didn't have to speak in Tennessee, I believe it was. And uh, so he ended up being here. But when I shared it with him back then, I just sent a picture. I really didn't have anything but the outline. I had the points, the title, and that's about it, the, the passage of Scripture. But I sent it to him, just took a picture of it, sent it to him. And I said, here's kind of where I'm thinking I'm headed this Sunday. Thoughts. And later that evening he called and he said, I think it sounds good. He said, but what do you mean by steered? And I said, well, like a steering wheel, we need to be steered by the Spirit. 
And he said, well, you may want to get up there and clarify that because we have uh, a church group that might, their mind may go elsewhere. And so this is not to be steered as in to castrate uh, or cut out, uh, but this is to be steered as in we are to be steered, a steering wheel, we are to be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what that translation means. Let us also walk in the Spirit is to walk in step with. If we've been saved and we've been made alive in the Spirit, we need to also walk in step with the Spirit where it leads. But as I was thinking about that conversation with him, and you go back just a few verses, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh... And these are contrary to one another, so you do the things that you wish you should not do. And he's getting steered as in castrate, and steered as in being steered in the right direction. I thought, you know, they kind of both work, because right after those verses I just read, it says, the evidence of the flesh are, and it goes through a whole list, fornication, adultery, lewdness, sorcery, contentions. There's a big list right there. And you know what? We need to cut those out. We need to castrate those. Those should not be a part of our life. And if we're going to work to crucify the flesh, those things need to be cut off from our walk so that we can walk in the Spirit. And so whether we cut those things out or we see it as steering, as as being under the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit, uh, we need to be steered as Christians. We need to be steered by the Holy Spirit. We need to walk in step with the Spirit and... What that looks like is in verse 22. The Galatians 5.22 test, I've heard it referred to a lot as, uh, and it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you have love, it's a good chance you're walking in step with the Spirit. If you're showing love, if you know, hey, God loves me, God loved me so much He sent His Son to die for me, and you love God, then you will love other people. And so a, a step in walking with the Spirit is I'm going to show love. I'm going to show others love. I'm going to show my brothers and sisters love. I'm going to show the people out there that don't know Jesus, that are lost and need Jesus' love. I'm going to show and shine the love of Jesus everywhere I go. But then the next one, the fruit of the Spirit is love, but then joy. Joy, we know, is not circumstantial because that's happiness. We go through things that sometimes our happiness is... It has its ups and its downs, uh, but inside, as a Christian, if we are walking in step with the Spirit, we should always be filled with joy, knowing that Jesus is in control, that everything that we go through on this earth works out for His glory and for our good. He's got our best interest in mind, and we can be excited and joyful about it. But then the next on the list, peace. Peace, kind of the same way. It's... Not necessarily an outward peace because we go through things that bring anxiety and stress. But it's more of an inward calmness and stillness that God gives us as we walk in step uh, with the Spirit. As we walk according to how the Spirit leads us. We can go through bad doctor's reports and have peace knowing that God's in control. We can go through uh, bad times at work and know and have peace because God's in control. We can have a bad day and know God's in control so we can have peace. It's not circumstantial peace. It's an all, 
everlasting, all-knowing peace that we can have in Jesus when we are walking in step with the Spirit. But then long-suffering, patience, right? It's tough. Uh, And we often think of patience as in having to wait in some traffic, having to wait for our food that may be taking a little too long at a restaurant. And that's part of it, right? It takes some patience. But long-suffering, the patience, this is really just being able to go through this life with our eyes fixed on Jesus, understanding our purpose here on earth, uh, it's not necessarily just waiting in line of traffic or waiting on your food at a restaurant. It's suffering for Christ through this life. No matter what comes my way, I'm staying true to Him. I'm running this race with endurance, uh, with my eyes focused on Jesus. Then you move to kindness and goodness. Just how we treat others. Again, that kind of goes back to the love. If we, if we truly love others the way Jesus loves, we'll, we'll knock this list out pretty well. Uh, how, how we treat others within our body, within our brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we go. How do we treat uh, our friends, our family, lost people, strangers? How do we treat uh, those who are maybe a little harder to be kind to and a little harder to be good to? Because we're called to be kind and good to everyone. Uh, not just those that it's easy to. And then faithfulness. And it was about a month ago now, there was a message preached on identity crisis. And one of those points was, as Christians, people will identify us by our faith. He used Enoch, right? They didn't necessarily see the God of Enoch, but they seen... Enoch's faith in God. They used Noah. They didn't necessarily see the God of Noah, but they seen Noah's faith in God because of the way that he was living, the way that he was trusting. Right? And so our faithfulness is how we crucify the flesh, put it aside, and we walk in step with the Spirit, uh, being faithful uh, to where the Spirit is leading us, even when we may not know exactly where we're going. Abraham, that was another one that was used being faithful to where God is calling and to what God is calling us to do. Gentleness. We'll talk about this one here in just a little bit. Uh, But again, kind of goes back to how we treat people. Are we being gentle? Are we being kind? Are we being understanding of others and what they're going through? And then lastly, self-control on this list. Boy, that's an easy one, ain't it? Self-control. And as we met, for the meeting, the staff meeting before Tahlequah Church campus started. I was kind of old. Anyway, as we, <laughs> as we met for our meeting, we pray, kind of go over how the service is going to go. Uh, I was sharing with Gillan kind of where I was headed, and he gave me the perfect uh, illustration or story here. I said, well, we're going on crucifying the flesh. And he kind of said the same thing. Oh, that's easy, ain't it? Uh, sarcastically, but he said, boy, you know, I really do like coconut cream pie. And, man, coconut cream pie is good, but sometimes we got to have some self-control to make sure we don't eat too much of that coconut cream pie. And then the next one he said, uh, I really love Texas football. I can't agree with that, but... I do love football. I love OU football. And he said, well, but sometimes it's really hard to watch those games and have self-control because they just want to give ball games away. 
And I agree, but we got to have self-control. Regardless of the situation, those are little things that really in the grand scheme of things may not matter all that much, but they can hinder our walk with the Spirit if we let our temper go at a ball game or if we sit and we maybe don't have the self-control to say no to the extra slice of pie. And so we must have self-control in order to walk in step with the Spirit and crucify that flesh with its passions and desires. It ain't easy, but it is worth it. And if God gives us life in Christ, why would we not take His direction through the Holy Spirit? And so that's what we need to do when we are being steered, that is, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Number three, not only do you need to be saved to crucify the flesh, we're dead with Christ, but, or our flesh is crucified with Christ, but we're made alive in Him. He's alive in us. We need to be steered, that is, directed by the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. But number three, we need to be a servant. Chapter 5, verse 26 through 6, 3 says this, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So when it comes to being a servant and crucifying the flesh... As a servant, number one, we need to resist pride. Verse 25 or 26 says, Let us not become conceited. And then down in verse 3 it says, For if anyone thinks to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, a servant can't be proud because someone who's prideful and selfish isn't going to serve anyone anyway. They're looking out for their own selves. And so... We can't become conceited. We're called to serve. Christians are called to be humble, to not be prideful. And if we are living in the Spirit and walking in conceit and pride, then we're not going to have much of a crucified flesh because we're looking out for ourselves and ourselves only. There was a preacher of yesteryear that said, No one can be too big, or excuse me, no one can be too small to be used by God but one can get too big in his own eyes to be used by God. Everyone in this room can be used by God. You can't be too young. You can't be too old. You can't be too young and spiritually. You can't be too old spiritually. But one, one thing that will hinder you from being used by God is if you think uh, that you are big enough to do anything on your own. If your pride and conceit uh, gets too big, that's when God is unable to use you because you're, you're so worried about self and what you can do rather than what God can do through you. And so it was D.L. Moody who said, you better be humble or you'll stumble. And if we don't want to stumble, we better walk in humility, looking for opportunities to serve others rather than to be served. Jesus is our ultimate example of it. He came as the King of Kings at, Everyone, the king of the Jews, right? This is the king of the Jews? Well, why is he washing people's feet? Why is he hanging out with these lowlies? 
Why is he hanging out with this crowd and that crowd, right? Jesus came not to be served. He came as a king to serve. He came to serve others. He came to be that humble servant looking for people to serve them, to love on them, to show them the love of Jesus, the love of God. And so we have that ultimate example to walk in humility and in love, looking to serve those around us. And this is a quote by Benjamin Franklin, because pride's a pretty, pride's a pretty tough one to, to conquer, right? And pride's evidence of the flesh. If we're walking around proud, right? That's just a, the flesh. And it's a pretty good measuring stick. Hey, if I'm walking humbly, uh, like it's pretty good evidence that you're walking in step with the Spirit. But here's what Benjamin Franklin says about pride and how it's so hard. Uh, to subdue it. it says there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride you can beat it down you can stifle it out mortify it as one of its mortified as much as one pleases but it is still alive even if i could conceive that i had completely overcome it i should probably be proud of my humility when we think we're being humble and we're proud of our humility, we become prideful. And so we must be careful. Resist pride as Christians. Walk in humility and walk in love. And so when we're resisting pride, then God will not resist us. But Scripture is clear that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we better resist pride or God will resist us. And so we need to resist pride if we're going to be a servant we're going to walk in the step with the Spirit and crucify the flesh. But number two, when being a servant, we need to rightly provoke. Now, provoke, we, my 12 and 23 group went through Galatians earlier this year, and we kind of hung on provoke for, for a little while. But what was interesting to me when I, I read provoke and went and looked up the definition and some of the translations in other passages of Scripture is every time that I've ever like heard provoke, it's always been like a negative connotation. When I think of the word provoke, I think someone who's going to get a rise in someone else. I think of a pot stirrer. I think of a gossiper. I think of someone who is maybe uh, trying to get under someone's skin who's bitter or angry or envious or jealous towards another another person right it's the pot stirs so that's where my mind and that's kind of what this scripture says uh, in verse 26 not let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another right we don't want to provoke our brothers and sisters negatively we don't want to provoke our brothers and sisters in the wrong way we don't want to stir the pot because we're jealous of maybe what god's doing in their life uh, and not doing in ours and so we need to make sure that we're stirring others up in the positive connotation. Provoke, the definition is to stimulate or give rise to someone. And if you look up Hebrews 10.24, it says, <clears throat> Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and as much more as the day, you, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The original King James Version 
right there says, let us provoke one another to love and good works. And so we need to provoke our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is to come alongside them, to stir them up, uh, to encourage them, to exhort them uh, to live better for Christ, to cause them to be better uh, for Jesus. And so I am a sports guy. I can relate to sports. It's easy for me to relate to sports. And this was an easy example. You can have a solid team and one bad attitude, one negative Nancy, one drama, pot-stirring player come in and ruin everything that that team's going to do. One person, because of their negative attitude, because of always stirring the pot, talking about this person, talking about he said, she said, jealous, envious, it can ruin a whole team's chemistry, it can lose them ball games it can bring them down but vice versa on the opposite you can have one positive energetic great attitude encourager uh, come in and take a team and spark a little fire that ignites and they take off and it makes a whole difference in that ball game the other way and so we want to be the christian that doesn't come in and bring our brothers and sisters down, doesn't come in and stir the pot uh, in a negative way, but we come in and we stir things up in a positive way. We want to walk in the room and all of a sudden, because we've walked in the room and we are filled with the Spirit, that we're causing others to be lit and ignited to be better for Jesus. And so, which one will you be? Are you going to be a pot stirrer that because of envy and jealousy and uh, anger and bitterness... You talk about people, you start the he said, she said, or are you going to be that one that comes in positive, encouraging others, exhorting others, and helping others grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? We need to rightly provoke. And then number three, when it comes to being a servant, we need to restore politely. Paul knew that our flesh was weak. It loves things that are very much opposite of the Spirit. Again, we talked about it. They're contrary to one another. That's what verse 17 says of chapter 5 in Galatians. They're, they're contrary to one another. Our flesh desires the opposite of the Spirit. It loves sin. It loves and craves going after the things that the Spirit says we shouldn't do. And so Paul knew that. And so what do we do when we or maybe our brothers and sisters have fallen in to some of those things, fallen into those fleshly things, fallen into that sin? He says right here in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, we need to be restored. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We need to restore our brothers and sisters. Restoration is always the goal. We don't excuse the sin. We don't ignore the sin. We don't neglect the sin. And we sure don't stand harsh judgment on their sin because Paul says, it may be you next. We must be very careful. Instead, we look to restore. Again, the definition of restore is to put back together or return to its former condition. And this is... David Giesick, my commentary, I just liked what it said on this verse. 
The job of restoration is often neglected in the church. We have a tendency to either pretend the sin never happened, we tend to react too harshly towards those who have sinned, when the balance between these two extremes can only be negotiated by the spiritual, because it says, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. It should be normal to do what God says to do here, but it isn't. It is all too easy to respond to someone's sin with gossip, harsh judgment, and undiscerning approval. But that's not how we're called to respond, with harsh judgment. We're called to respond in a way that's loving, that's understanding, understanding that that brother, that sister is just a human, just like me, and I sin, I do it on a daily basis, and I don't want their harsh judgment and their harsh words uh, on me, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to reach out to them and try to restore them in a way that's gentle, in a way that's loving, uh, in a way that's kind, and get them back, right? To restore them, to bring them back uh, to the will of God, to uh, maybe it's church, maybe it's someone that ha- we haven't seen in a few weeks. There's no need to harshly judge them because they haven't been here. They've fallen out because it's the flesh, man. They wanted to sleep, maybe. They wanted to go golf that day, maybe, right? We can meet them in a loving way, in an understanding way, and say, hey, we, we want you back. We miss you. We love you. We would love to see you here. Uh, too many, though, sit and watch brothers and sisters and just ignore it. They don't do nothing about it. They just think, huh, well... It is what it is, but that's not what what the Scripture tells for us to do. Too many sit back in judgment, judging what they're doing, comparing. Ah, they ain't doing no good. Look at them. That's not what we're called to do. Too many are maybe like the farmer whose mule broke its leg, and he's not able to be used anymore, so let's just pull a, put a bullet in his head. Uh, we get that mentality that, oh, they're so far gone, God couldn't use them again anyway, so just leave them where they're at. But God can use them. And we have testimonies where Christians, they've been saved. Christians have stepped away. But God's brought them back using brothers and sisters, using a church. And now God's using them again, uh, using their story, their testimony of falling into that sin to bring others closer to Christ. They can be used. And God can use them. And if we have a problem with that, we just need to look at, look at the example of restoration uh, at, at the cross. In the beginning, when God created us, everything was perfect. We had a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. We had a perfect partnership in the garden with God. And then sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, we were then separated from God because of that sin. And Jesus looked down with compassion, not judgment. Jesus looked down in love not judgment, and he came for us, lived a perfect life for us, gave his life on the cross, died, buried, and on the third, third day rose again so that we could have restoration, we could have reconciliation and be brought back to that original, uh, again, to be brought back to that original uh, relationship that we were created to have with God. And so he's the ultimate example of restoration, of how we should do it in a loving and gentle and understanding way. So we should restore our brothers and sisters in love and gentleness, not in judgment and not in condemnation. But then, fourthly, on being a servant, we need to re- 
as servants, we reinforce people. Reinforce means to strengthen or support. We've heard it many times. I'm going to read chapter 6, verse 2 here. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've heard it many times on burdens. There's three things that need to be done with burdens. Some are meant to be shouldered. Some of the things that you go through, it's on you. You're, you're meant to carry it. That's your cross. You need to bear it and go. You need to bear it and go on. Some are meant to be shed. Those just need to be laid at Jesus' feet, laid at the cross, and let Him take care of them. Stop stressing over them. Let Him have them. But then the third one is they need to be shared. Support from our brothers and sisters. That's what we're here for. We're here to come in and strengthen and support each other, to reinforce each other when we're going through these bad things. And I know David did the message, it's been a while back now, about holding the, holding the, the board over your head. And I don't remember exactly how long it was, but went through it, through that message as, as I was holding the board. And slowly that board, it gets heavier and heavier until I can't hold it over my head no more. And finally, uh, he called in some reinforcement who came in on each side and began to lighten that load uh, as that board got heavier and heavier and I couldn't hold it anymore. And that's how we're to work with our brothers and sisters. Again, I relate to sports. I relate to lifting. The first thing that I do with every, every group uh, every year in my weightlifting classes is we work on spotting because there's a correct way, there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And a spotter in lifting, say we are, are benching and we're going for five reps, four sets, maybe the first three sets, man, I get it, it's tough, but I get it, I grind them out. On that fourth set, I'm supposed to get five again, I get three reps, and I know, hey, I'm struggling. Good thing, I got a spotter behind me, right? So a spotter is there because when I can't get that fourth rep or maybe I can grind through that fourth one, but I can't get that fifth one, they come in and they lift just enough of the weight off of me that I can get that weight up. They come pull, they come strengthen, they come support uh, some of that weight so that I can get it up off me and get it racked and get out from underneath that bar. And that's exactly what we're called to do as Christians. When we see our brothers and sisters struggling, uh, maybe it's a bad doctor's report. We had a great example at Tahlequah just this morning. Before service ever even started, there's, there's two, two bad doctor's reports this week. Uh, Miss Shelby Jackson and Lynette. Uh, Garner, both diagnosed with cancer this week, and before service ever started, Glenn got up, and as a congregation, we came, uh, Harold and, and Glenn anointed them with oil, and we prayed over them, and, and believed that Jesus is going to heal them, believe that God's going to do a miracle in their lives, and so that's what we're called to do. When we see others hurting, they're going through these things, we step in and we support. We step in and we help strengthen them. We step in this morning, it was simply praying and anointing them with oil. Sometimes, and I even told them uh, when I was on this point at Tahlequah, it might move from prayers to now in the coming weeks as they go to doctor's appointments and treatments, that it may move to financially we help them. It may move to 
We help get food on the table because they're so busy running back and forth to doctor's appointments. We see needs, we see struggles, and we meet needs and we meet struggles. And Exciting Southeast does a, a pretty good job about uh, meeting those needs and helping those who need it. But we are called as Christians to come alongside each other, to spot each other uh, when, when our brothers and sisters have things that come into their life uh, that just gets too heavy because life can get heavy. And that when life gets heavy, it helps to have a church family that will come in and help support and get you through those things. And so we need to reinforce people. We need to help support, help strengthen, help lift each other up, whether it be by prayer or by meeting needs uh, when others are going through things. And as I close, and David can come up and start a song of invitation. Again, the flesh... It's strong. But we have a God who's stronger. And when we are walking in step with the Spirit, we are leaning on Him and trusting in Him and tuning in touch with Him, we can crucify, we can overcome that flesh. And so as we all stand, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Today you may need to be saved. You've tried to overcome that flesh, you've tried to overcome that addiction, that sin all by yourself time and time again only to fail and fall back to it. Maybe it's today you realize it's because you haven't been trying to do it with Jesus on your side. You need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness and ask Jesus to come into your life and to help you with that. Maybe today you're here and... You need some help following the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit, being steered, walking in step with the Spirit each and every day of your life. Altars are open. Maybe you're here and you need to work on being a a good servant for the Lord. You need to get rid of your pride, your selfishness. Maybe you need to learn how to encourage and build one another up rather than tearing them down with gossip and bitterness you need to uh, learn how to restore in a spirit of gentleness rather than just judge those who may have fallen off maybe you just need to come and lift someone up in prayer just help lighten their load because I know in a church this big we know we have things that are going on people are hurting people need prayer people need help altars are open if you need to be saved come If you need to come talk to God, come. Father, I come to you. Just pray that you would just move in this invitation in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, and they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance I have still and 
now. <laughs> 